What is carcinophobia and do you have it? Rare question, common problem. And I'd love to tell you, well, it's a cancer and you may have it, but it's not the big C. It's fear, specifically the fear of cancer. And there's an actual diagnosis for this, which we will get to because you and I, we need to have a talk. But let's just say, for instance, that your doctor feels something unusual in your breast or testicles, which as a kid, true story, I thought were called breasticles. Makes sense, but I digress. Now, just because a doctor feels something unusual, it doesn't mean you have cancer, but it can mean you have fear, which like cancer can metastasize. Now think about this. If you have, say, breast cancer, when caught early, it has a 93% plus cure rate. But how do you cure fear? Yes, my little blueberry muffin, we need to talk about carcinophobia, the fear people are so afraid to discuss that most don't even know it's a common phobia. Oh, and hi, I'm Dahlia, and welcome to episode 19 of Live and Help Live. I just wanted to make sure I properly introduced myself to you before I tell you my deepest, darkest secrets. Actually, I don't think our deepest, darkest secrets would be so dark. They'd be light. They'd shed light if we talked about them more openly. So first, I'll tell you mine, then you tell me yours. Deal? Deal. Her hair is curly, her teeth are pearly. She's got an edge, but she's still pretty girly. Oh, oh, nothing rhymes with Dahlia. When I was six, I thought I was going to die. This wasn't just a passing thought. It was an all-consuming fear and fixation that severely affected my life and my parents' lives. And the thing is, to the rest of the world, I looked like a happy little girl. But that just masked my monster, which was also like my master. Other kids are afraid of monsters in the closet. I was afraid of cancer. And because of this insidious anxiety, I'd throw up every single night before I went to bed. Every pain, every twinge, everything I didn't even feel. I felt was cancer and it's like I was trying to throw it up and get it out of my body and to this day as an adult I don't want to throw up not because it's a terribly obnoxious and disgusting and gross feeling that I can't even fathom or handle but because it takes me back to that time and I remember those feelings and it's hard to feel that for a six-year-old and I don't even know how I got through it then but I kind of I kind of wonder how it started. And I think my bubby, my maternal grandmother, she died when I was six, not from cancer, but I'm pretty sure that's what led to this horrible phobia. So to avoid an uncertain death, I created numerous self-imposed rules. Nothing about this unknown fear made sense to me. So I had to make sense by giving it some sort of context, by creating some sort of rules. I created this entire thing from the beginning anyway that I was going to die. So why not create the rules about how I could live, right? And I remember one of these rules was a compulsion to be in bed by 8 p.m. Otherwise, I would die. 
And you'd think, wow, parents would love to get their kid in bed before 8 p.m. But in my case, this wasn't a nightly routine. This was a nightly torment for all of us. It altered our lives. Like one evening, my parents took my brothers and me out for supper to a fast food restaurant. This was a really big deal because we didn't just have the money to go and do those things. And my parents were also sticklers for health when I was growing up. And so this was something. And I would typically be overjoyed at the prospect of such a rare event, but not that night. We're standing in line. My big brother is choosing which adult meal he'd eat. And I'd usually be super jealous because I wanted an adult meal for my 40-pound kid little incy-peensy body. But instead, no. What did I see? I saw a stranger's wrist. I saw a stranger's wrist. I wasn't even looking at the french fries that surrounded me because I saw the time. And it was almost 7.30 p.m. 7.30 p.m. I freaked out. How could I make it home for my self-imposed 8 p.m. bedtime? I didn't want to die. No. I, I wasn't going to enjoy any of this coveted fast food night. And neither would any of my family. I wouldn't touch my fries. Couldn't touch my fries. I started to panic. I cried hysterically. Today, we call that a panic attack. I'm pretty sure as a kid, the other restaurant goers just thought that kid is having a meltdown. And I just thought I have to get home before I die. And I'll never forget, we made it home by 7.57 p.m. And I know that the clock in the kitchen was accurate because I had set it myself to make sure that I would always be in bed by the proper 8 p.m. And I go through my rituals, I get to my bed, but before I can allow myself to go into the covers that I have now put in the position that I like to be in when I go to bed so that I will stay alive in the morning, I run to the washroom and I vomited out my fear. And then I fearfully slid into my bed. And that's just one way in which the fear of cancer affected my life as a child my carcinophobia actually may have started as a little girl, but thanks to therapy, while it never went away completely, it's completely under control. Of course, it's still fear. Everything stays. All of those scars that you had from those traumatic times you've lived for, they live with you. They become a part of you. But there's a difference when a trauma is a part of you and a difference when a trauma consumes you. And so it's okay to have a kingdom of fear. I know I have one and it has many subjects. But when you can reign over it, when you get to reign over your kingdom of fear, you feel pretty strong. And something unexpected happened this year, really, that helped put my carcinophobia in check. And I was going through something that almost no one knew about. 
cancer scares. Yeah, plural. And it just started with a routine checkup. And the doctor saw and felt what she thought could possibly be two types of different cancers, cervical and breast possibly not really sure this is how you send somebody off from your office before even getting together the types of tests that you want to run on them just testing their ability to handle fear I suppose was the first test that she wanted to give me and so this happens all at once right around Christmas when every medical office was shutting down early and the full gamut of follow-up tests wouldn't be available for months um hello carcinophobia over here this this is this is not going to work for me and part of my reaction happened here because you would think that that six-year-old girl would surface and all of those fears and compulsions and obsessions alongside that but no mm -mm. i reign over that kingdom of fear with many subjects but i reign over it so i became very logical very logical very methodical i started taking actions Googling my health was not one of them, by the by, but I booked appointments. I found doctors to give me tests while my personal doctors were going to take months to get that ball rolling. I found ways around a slow system that can significantly add to carcinophobia and yeah, cancer diagnoses and their spread. I was too busy fighting against a cancer I didn't know if I had to sit there ruminating in my fear of it. And had I allowed that fear to take over, I'd still be waiting for tests from Christmas until at least Easter. And that fear would have killed me before anything else. And this, it's not like this was a conscious decision. I didn't say, okay, I won't be afraid. It was my gut instinct. I want to take care of me because I am precious to me. And I'm okay. I was okay. I was clear. And better than clear of cancer, my mind started to clear of the fear of cancer. And actually, it was kind of good that this happened. Now think about it. Think about all of those things you're afraid of. And imagine instead of thinking about all of those fears, you acted on them instead of acting because of them. And look, I am certain that you know, just like I do, and have cared about too many people whose lives have been affected or taken by cancer. In fact, in just this past week, I heard from someone battling stage four cancer. Stage four. I learned of a friend's parent who just died of cancer and another friend's parent who's about to start radiation. And I also have a loved one fighting and beating it right now. And these aren't even all of the people whom I know that are in the throes of cancer. And this is just from this past week. 
That's how pervasive it is. Fear of cancer as a phobia and fearing cancer are indeed two different things, but both are fears that stem from the very same reason. We have been so inoculated with fear over cancer that the two words, fear and cancer, seem synonymous. Carcinophobia is the cancer that can't be cured. Carcinophobia consistently ranks in the top 10 of phobias. The idea of cancer is terrifying enough without this phobia, and it becomes a phobia once the fear affects your life, and it can do more harm than the disease itself. This actually goes back to 1955 when Dr. George Kreil Jr. coined the term. But Doc didn't really need a DeLorean to see the future of this vile disease and the shadow of terror it would cast. His findings appeared in Life magazine article. And this is an article from so many years ago called The Plea Against Blind Fear of Cancer. And he explained how this contagious disease that spreads from mouth to ear can lead beyond mental and physical stresses and the demise of quality of life to dangerous and unreasonable diagnoses and treatments. The phobia of cancer can be unbearable for sufferers and their families. And it's easy to learn it through nurture and nature. And I know like many people, for instance, my father had a constant fear of cancer and it feels like it was passed down to me. I mean, I would have preferred his blue eyes, but instead I got hazel eyes and this anxiety. Thank you very much. And this is going to sound horrible, but I don't mean it that way. I'm saying this because I think other people have thought this too. And I don't want you to think you're the only one who's thought it because it's a tough thought to have. But sometimes as a kid, it was almost like I wished that he got cancer just so that it would be treated. Just, just so that it would be treated because then you would know what it was and then you could treat it. You could take care of it. And... You know, I remember just, I, I could just be sitting there wondering if a, a pain in my leg was a, a tumor and my anxiety as a kid could make me feel all of these symptoms that I read about. And this is actually an argument to not teach little kids how to read. This was a bit of a problem at six years old to be reading medical journals but this is where my mind was going. And this wasn't because I was some super six-year-old. It was because I was some super anxious six-year-old. And I felt so alone. My rational self wouldn't talk to people about this. My emotional self didn't want to talk about this. And even if other people all around you are experiencing this, carcinophobia is different for everyone. It can be caused by a traumatic experience, having cancer, watching someone endure it, losing someone to it, even watching a movie that shows suffering. Maybe there's family history. Basically, being a human can cause it. 
And symptoms can lead to extreme life decisions for some people or prevent you from living your life. There are people who will incessantly visit doctors or maybe avoid doctors, be health fanatics, be depressed, suicidal, have panic attacks, migraines, physical pains. This is a literal fight against a demon in your head, a cancer in your head telling you that you will die and it can feel like an existence that awaits its death. But here's the thing. Cancer doesn't mean death. Today, more than 60% of people diagnosed with it in the Western world survive. And that's compared to 25% in the 1940s. But still, pretty much every poll puts cancer atop the list of people's health fears, even though most medical deaths in the Western world result from heart disease. So how does cancer beat the number one killer? Nearly one in two people develop the disease, while one in four die of it. Do you know more than four people in your family? Do you have more than four friends? Of course you do. You don't want to lose people you care about. And ultimately, if you live long enough, cancer is something that you could get. So wait, if you could get cancer, does that mean that maybe, for instance, your breasts are precancerous organs? Is your skin a precancerous organ? Do you have precancer? I bet if you Googled that, you'd somehow be able to convince yourself that you do. But listen, if you suffer, there is help. I just want to assure you, it is not unusual to have these feelings. And if you lose or almost lose someone to cancer, you can become obsessed with the idea that you too will get it. Or maybe when you see a celebrity diagnosed, while it may inspire you to be more vigilant and save a life, it also ends up reinforcing that, oh my goodness, no one is immune. And then you have this constant reminder. There's nothing wrong in getting yourself fully checked by a doctor just to put your mind at ease. But if you feel that this is dictating your life, even if your logic is telling you that you're perfectly fine, but your head is telling you something different, there is help. I know how awful it can be when a thought seems to take over your life and you just cannot rationalize it away. Many of us know how that is, but we're too busy consumed in those thoughts to talk about them and too afraid to share them. We just don't like talking about them and then we each feel like we're the only one. And that lack of communication, that disconnection is one of the greatest malignancies in society. And meanwhile, you sit there isolated and alone and think of, I don't know, maybe one of two things about all of this. Something really big and terminal, the event that ends my life, will happen sometime over the next number of decades, which, by the by, is a long time to live with that emotional uncertainty of your unaliveness. And then you have this seesaw thought, where this one side is about denial, It's never going to happen. So you ignore lumps, you ignore bumps and any sort of other ominous symptom. And well, if you're afraid of the dark, you keep a light on, right? What if you're afraid of cancer? You may prefer to stay in the dark. Do you get that mole checked? Do you go for that colonoscopy? 
Do you do that breast monthly check? And then the other side of the seesaw, you have imminent doom. You're convinced, oh, it's happening. It's happening right now. And either way, you can feel the need to manufacture some form of certainty because knowing you're dying from cancer offers a strange form of comfort that can feel far less frightening than the fear of the unknown, not knowing when or if it will occur. So is this war on cancer killing us? Because we have all of this cancer awareness around us. But that's not really the issue. We seem too aware. Cancer eradication is what our awareness, our hyper-awareness demands. Because we have been, again, so inoculated with fear over cancer that the two words seem synonymous. And inevitably, to get rid of carcinophobia and this insidious four-letter F-word, fear, we need to replace it with another F-word and F-cancer. Yes. So if you need help, there are things you can do. If you're too obsessed with your concerns, talk to your doctor. Maybe seek counseling. It can help. If that's too expensive or you don't feel like you can talk to a stranger like that, look for anonymous help online. Watch YouTube videos. Go to forums. Have meaningful conversations with people. If you can place the fear, if you can name the fear, if you can say the fear, it makes it smaller. You can have a ton of fears. I've told you. I do. I have a lot of them, but when you reign over them, you're able to also reign them in and the reverse happens. So you may have felt so helpless and powerless in the face of all of this fear, but then you feel so much stronger than you ever thought you were when you're able to reign over it. And let me leave you with this. You know that person who has stage four cancer I mentioned earlier? So they reach out to me this past week, not with sadness, not for pity, but to say that they're listening to this podcast and that the cancer will continue to run its course. But they go on to say, this is good stuff to help me reflect on my life and perhaps make some amends before I check out both to myself and others. It's beautiful that someone can reach that point of peace in their life. It's beautiful that someone could share that with me and a privilege to be sure. But the big thing here is its lesson for you and me. Think about it. If reflection is so important to someone fighting stage four cancer. Maybe it should be of more importance to those of us who aren't. Now I'm going to stop talking before I start crying. So thanks for dropping by the neighboralia. And if the fear becomes too much, talk about it. Say it out loud. 
that helps to lift the darkness, those dark secrets. They can become light. I told you that. And can you please leave a review wherever you listen to this? It just helps people find the podcast more easily. And I just want to help people live and help live. And since you're here, I'm pretty sure you'd like to do that too. And oh, after Gabor Mate joined and shared something very revealing, I just had to ask his son Daniel Mate to join us. So you are cordially invited to join along for an Instagram live Tuesday, October 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. In the meantime, you can catch up on that Gabor episode. You'll understand why Daniel's joining then. You can come over to my new TikTok, at Dahlia Kurtz. You can say hi. You can say help. You can say whatever you need. Now go. Don't wait. Live and help live. Oh, oh. Nothing rhymes with Dahlia. Nothing rhymes with Dahlia. Nothing rhymes with Dahlia. Neighboralia.